Welcome back to the Too Dumb to Quit podcast with Jeremy McCall. Very talented. God awful ugly. <laughs> hey friends, happy Tuesday. It's the uh, Too Dumb to Quit podcast. It's your old pal Jeremy. And I'm very excited today because I've got a new friend of mine who uh, is already inspired the hell out of me. And um, I met him through getting into jiu-jitsu. He's a professor over at Legion Jiu-Jitsu here in Nashville. He's a black belt. He is uh, an Army Ranger, is a Special Forces guy, he's a veteran, he's a badass. He is uh, out uh, inspiring, doing leadership stuff and uh, leadership talks and seminars, writing ebooks. Fuck, man, what don't you do? <laughs> when are you sleeping? This is Mr. Dude, Sean Patton, so man. welcome, man. Good oh, to have thank you. you. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I'm, I'm blushing over here, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. It's Excited awesome, here. man. How long have you been in Nashville? So I got to, I told people it was like, I've been here for like 12 of the last 14 years, basically, um, in the, in like the middle of Tennessee area. Sure. So when I, I graduated from West Point in 2005, uh, and, uh, got my first branch in the infantry and then got my, my poster unit of choice, which I chose 101st Airborne Division, which is at Fort Campbell. It's about 45 minutes northwest of Nashville. Yeah. Um, And so mainly for the unit, not necessarily the area, honestly. It's just a great unit. um, And I trained with them before. So then uh, after about a year and a half of training at, in Georgia, uh, I came there and so got here in 2006. Mm. And um, I've, you know, in that time then have lived in Clarksville, which is outside the post, right. just north of the post up in Kentucky because it's right on the Kentucky yeah, border. Yeah. And then all the way down to, you know, Fifth and Church <laughs> right, <laughs> in the middle yeah. of downtown. And, and right middle, downtown. In the middle of the madness yeah. uh, and everything in between. So I've kind of lived, and, and now I live in East Nashville, but yeah, I was in the 101st for uh, three and a half years, um, but 14 months of that was in Iraq, so yeah. kind of there, not there. Um, and then when I, I went to Special Forces Selection, got selected, and uh, went to... North Carolina for some training okay. in order to actually get your green breaks. You get selected in special forces and, you know, a three week train up. They don't just say, Oh yeah, now you're green break. Yeah, yeah. You've got another, uh, you know, over a year of, of training. I had another six month course as well at Fort Knox for us. I was an officer. So about another year and a half of training and, uh, just happened to get fifth special forces group as my, my unit, That's which awesome. was back at Fort Campbell. So yeah. it was kind of back home, which was one of my top two choices. Um, I wanted to go to third group or fifth group and, uh, because one thing people don't understand, I find myself doing like educational talks on sure. special operations because everyone's interested, I think, in like yeah, a lot in special operations and special Absolutely. forces stuff. Uh, but there are like a lot of misnomers, and and so I, I like to yeah kind of do an education piece on that. But one thing that makes special forces different than um, other special operations units is that their focus or our focus is unconventional warfare. Right. So we're basically U.S. sponsored insurgents. So. Uh, I told you, was, it all goes back to World War II. Have you ever heard of the OSS? Yes. Office of Strategic Services? Yes. Okay. So that was, that's like the foundation of the British SAS and really all special operations units in the world. Um, but they, they created these three-person teams called Jedberg teams. And you would have, you would have a, an officer, like a special operations, you know, especially trained soldier and officer, right. a commo guy, right? You could talk back and send messages and stuff. Yeah. And then they had a local from 
whatever region they were going to in occupied Europe. So you'd have like sure. a member of the French resistance that had escaped or, uh, an someone that grew like up in there. terrain and yeah, someone dialect, literally and... like someone that grew up there. Right? right. And, and, or had studied there or something. So familiar with wherever they were going to go. Yeah. Speak the, spoke the language and the dialects and everything and had connections. So they would train these, these three person teams up and they would, jump them in at night in <laughs> occupied Germany. <It's> so crazy. <laughs> behind, behind uh, enemy lines. And, and uh, there was somewhere, most were British were American, but you had Canadians, you had other, um, yeah. uh, other nationalities on the Allied side as well. And uh, they would go in initially, they would link up with French resistance. They would train, you right. know, the French resistance and guerrillas and teach them how to make, explosive you know it's IEDs right yeah just little explosive bombs uh, improvised explosive devices Um, they would assassinate stuff but uh, they would also just put out misinformation uh, on troop movements that you know German soldiers would get up and get bad information and they put out radio waves and Mm -hmm. all this stuff reports back to troop movements Uh, and then right before D-Day they all had an activation plan they sent out and they blew up rail lines and did a bunch of stuff and uh, basically some estimates show that uh, only half of the actual German reinforcements were actually able to get and reinforce a D-Day because of these actions because wow. they couldn't get across the country to in time. So uh, that was sort of the basis of really a lot of special operations in all the Western countries, but in ours as well. And then after World War II, there was a, a big debate, which has been a really a constant debate up until the 20th century in our in our country, which is, do we want a standing army, right? If you're sort of right. a, a history person, you know, that's a sort of a sore spot for us after, uh, after the British made us quarter troops and all that stuff. So it was like, do we even want a standing army? And if so, how big is it going to be? Uh, and then do we want this cap- the government to have this capability? Um, right. Because throughout history, governments have used that against their own people a lot. Sure. Uh, and... What ended up having come out of that was it split into two. So they split sort of that capability into two groups, and one group became the CIA, the civilian side, and the military side became Army Special Forces, the Green Berets. So that's the background. So it's wow. not uh, – it's a lot different than direct action type groups like the Navy SEALs or like right. the Army Rangers. It's – you know, those are all raids, uh, hostage rescue, you know, capture, kill, you know. Yeah, blowing up doors, getting gunfights, all that stuff, which uh, is one reason it's sort of sexy and it's easy. It's good to make movies about because it's sure. easy to understand. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot harder to understand sort of the the human dynamic and political geopolitical factors that go into being a Green Beret, um, right. and you know, going an operative. Yeah, you are yeah. more of this. You're really in that sort of gray area, um, which you know the quintessential you know that everyone knows about, right? Sort of out in the open is Afghanistan, right? We we said, hey, there's a government that needs to be overthrown, and about. 300 Green Berets and, you know, 60, 90 guys from the CIA linked up with rebels behind enemy lines and they overthrew a government in you know, three months. Um, and so what I liked about that was the... And you were there during that time? Uh, not during the initial invasion. That was okay. 2001. So, okay. yeah, I was much later. I was... When I went to fifth group, I did deploy to Afghanistan. I was in eastern Afghanistan on the Pakistan border in like 2008, 2009. Okay. Um, and... And we had a really interesting mission, though, that, you know, it all sort of ties together. We mm-hmm. were doing what we call village stability operations. So I was there with a small team of 10 guys, and we had an attachment of, like, another 9 to 12 fluctuated uh, regular Army soldiers. Yeah. And uh, we operated, and we would went around and sort of lived 
with the local Afghans in their village and help them sort of stand up little local militias and train them to be able to defend themselves against the Taliban and these other networks, the Connie networks and other groups that came in. Because a lot of those, a lot of those villagers, I mean, they just want to farm, right? It's just like, I just want to live. And whoever's kind of cutting their heads off that day is who they go with, right? (laughs) I mean, is that an oversimplified version, obviously? No, but but I, I think that that's one of the biggest things that I took away from my time overseas in both Iraq and Afghanistan and then a few other, you know, non-combat deployments is how you could be in the most dissimilar culture yeah. <laughs> to Americans, you right. know, um, in, and especially even in, in just in Asia in general, anyone who's gone there knows that like the, the Chinese, Japanese, even those types of groups, which are a lot closer and in the economy and stuff, right. Their viewpoints on right, wrong, and they're just more collectivist society. So the, and as we're in America, it's like, this is my land. I not going to take my whatever. Right. Right. Over there it's, well, if it's better for the group, well, even if it's not better for me, then that's, that's the right thing to do. That's not the way Americans see that. Right. We're an individualist culture. It's all about me and my rights and, and, and God bless. I mean, I'm glad I'm here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not just the, the that whole perspective in in Asia uh, is more of a collectivist culture. Whatever is better for the group is the right thing, even if that's not good for me. Um, and and so you have that, and then you layer in the fact that they're basically living in the fifteen or sixteen hundreds. Yeah. Um, and then you throw in uh, this sort of militant Islam uh, beliefs and and how ingrained in their culture that was. Sure. And the fact they've been at war for a thousand years. So, I mean, right. it couldn't be more different than, you know, <laughs> right. Nashville, Tennessee. So, right. uh, but even giving that, y- you start to realize we're all the same. Like, all in the same yeah. stuff. It's, it's you know, you, you talk to anybody here and and living in a suburb of Nashville and, look, all they want to do is they want to feel safe. Uh, they want to have, have a family. family. They want to be happy. Um, they want to have some stability and future and have an opportunity to pursue things they like. And that's, that's all it is. Like that's yeah. all anyone wants in the whole world. Right. Um, and now there's just different ideas about what's the best way to accomplish that sure. and competing interests. But that, that was the biggest thing. Cause you got to see a, you know, you got past the politics and past the, uh, the militia and pass even the religious stuff. And then when you actually got to sit in these people's houses and have tea with them and eat and play with their kids and it's, it's, it's you might as well be in Goodlettsville, Tennessee. Right. It's everyone, every, every human's really the same. And it really brought home to me from an academic perspective, the idea of, I saw in practice Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how it, you would see that out there that, yeah. you know, Right. And without, and I can not consider and quote Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but right at the basis is like security, right? <laughs> Shelter, food, water. And until people have that, these other things like, uh, you know, um, uh, safety or, you know, all the way up to socialization and self-actualization, the top and all these like high things where we try to this ego and a sense of self, all that stuff you're trying to accomplish. You can't get there. Yeah. If you don't feel safe to go to sleep at night yeah. and, Basic, um, basic human needs. basic human needs if those things aren't met then you know we then the law of law of the jungle takes over and that's the other side of it that you get to see in combat especially in places like that that people in a, that have, haven't been to those parts of the world um especially parts of the world like that in conflict that they take our safety our security just so for granted yeah. <laughs> and just have and they have these ideas and that's where you get i think some of the 
because I find myself politically in the center, but sometimes left and sometimes right. But generally, if you average it out, probably somewhere in the center yeah. overall. But I think most people yeah. are. I, I think, think like, you get real. Most are, right? people are just like common sense, like. Hey, this bothers me, so I don't want that. This doesn't bother me, so it doesn't, you know, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. But and then you've got like factions, you know, on each side that are just insane. Yeah, you know, where it's totally. just like, Jesus. yeah, you really do, really and then and you, and you get calm to down. They calm they really down. do, and just that's especially why, just, here, just open minded. Yeah, exactly <laughs> here, because like you've got nothing to worry about. That's our right. thing, you know. It's just like, all right, I get like. I think it's amplified by the news, social media, sensationalized. I think that's part of the issue. But, you know, talk about that's one thing, you know, I talk about sort of the leadership stuff and and all that. I just did a few talks recently with some different companies. And one thing I talk about all the time is perspective and gratitude. And I actually have slides up of, you know, this is middle class in Afghanistan. (laughs) Yeah. This is middle class in Sudan. Right. This is middle class in America. Right. Stop. and, And yet, we've got record numbers of anxiety and depression. I was I'm like, just because people don't have the perspective and they think that their every little problem, how many likes they get on an Instagram post is an actual problem. It's and it, ma- it doesn't matter. <laughs> and it's just like how, like you just need to step back. And, and I think that's the main thing, right? Like, um, people ask me, what's the, the biggest thing you got from the military? Cause I got all this stuff, perspective, global perspective, appreciation. Yeah. Um, and you know, and what I was getting to is the, and understanding the true law of nature and, you know, you're starting to see a little bit with like people freaking out like coronavirus or something like right. that. But people don't realize that the only reason we have the ability to have civil discussion, disagreements, uh, property, all these things we take for granted every day in, in economy is that, and this is probably gonna be a controversial statement so where people can hate me and they want, but, <laughs> but uh, it's fine. Uh, but it's true. So is... Because we live in a place where the government has a monopoly on violence. So that's what I, what I learned in terms of that perspective. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that, right, is, you know, if, if, if you're in your house and you could be, you know, maybe you could be pro-gun, anti-gun, doesn't matter, right? right? Okay, whatever. A guy with a bigger gun than you have in your house shows at your front door. You lock the door. You send the kids away. What happens? You call the police, right? right? What happens? A policeman shows up. Well, let's say there's actually three guys. Well, guess what? The police calls another guy, and he calls a SWAT team in another game, and it escalates until you've got an F-35 overhead dropping a 2,000-pound bomb on the guys outside your house, right? Like, that's <laughs> the way it works, right? Right. Martial law, the National Guard shows up. There's tanks at the door. Yeah. Okay. Imagine if that wasn't the case. <laughs> right. And that's that's how that's what those people are living in. That's everywhere else. That's, every, that's literally... Like seventy percent of the world. It is. I got pulled <laughs> out of a pickup truck in Mexico by a teenager with a machine gun. Out of the front seat of a pickup. I was, oh my I God. was driving. I was driving my, me and I had played a benefit down there and instead of flying out of Wymus, I decided I've never driven through Mexico. <laughs> Sounds a good idea. Let's fucking drive through Mexico. <laughs> and we drove through and just in the middle of the desert there was just like five dudes with a machine with machine guns that pulled me out. And they were cops. Oh, and yeah, they yeah. wanted $200. Yeah. And they were cops. And they were cops. And yeah. so, like, in America, we're all like, okay, these guys, even if even if we're doing something, you know, like you see those those rallies where it's like, even when terrible, like the Westboro Baptist people are out, mm-hmm. terrible thing, mm-hmm. they, they protect it because yep. they still protect them. Yeah. Even though they're terrible people. And yeah. I have no problem saying that. Yeah, I mean, but I it's like... They, there's still a line of protection there. And I've, ne- like, I was in the middle of the Mexican desert 
Those guys shoot me and leave me. In the f- Nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody oh. cares. Those guys don't give a shit. No. But I, we paid them two hundred dollars and they let us go. Yeah. And I that was the last. I was like, ah, I'm, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> no you more know? Mexican yeah, road yeah, trips. Yeah, no, it's not happening. <laughs> but it's also, and I was just talking to you before we started this Wayne Dyer guy. I was listening to a thing he was talking about this morning. I don't even know if the guy is still alive, but uh, he's a uh, his he's uh, a philosopher, and he said. The way you see the world is the way it is. So mm-hmm. it, people that focus on like the good things and love and like uh, as ridiculous as it sounds, me and my wife just watched that Mr. Rogers movie. Oh, is it good? I actually want to see that. It's amazing. Yeah, all right. I'm because gonna... it's not about Mr. Rogers. It's yeah. about the guy that he had all the impact on. Yeah, yeah. So when you first see it in the beginning, you're like, oh, this is weird because I expected it to be all about Mr. Rogers. It's yeah. not. But um, Mr. Rogers saw the world with love and hope mm-hmm. and because that's the way he looked at everything. Mm-hmm. When you look, and that's where I, I'm like, when people that watch the news too much or people that just get so involved in it, they see the negative and everything, mm-hmm. all of a sudden that's all they see. Mm-hmm. And it's just constant negativity. If you see the world as a hostile place, it's going to be a hostile place. If you mm-hmm. see it as a loving, caring universe, that's kind of what comes to you, mm-hmm. you know? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, it, you're, you're totally right. But and, and exactly like that example, you know, and that's, that's like still in the Western hemisphere, right? And that's right. not that far away, right? That's drivable yeah. from right now. We, we could probably be there tomorrow. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> right. It's, it, and, and people just take that for granted mm-hmm. and they have this entitlement. And sometimes you're just like, dude, you don't understand. Like the only thing keeping you alive right now to f- say these crazy things and right. be your crazy self. And, 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 and in, sometimes when it goes, you know, a little left of like, you know, anti super anti gunner super and no one should have it i'm like you don't you don't realize the fact the only reason you do that is because the government has the biggest gun right and that's the only reason you're safe and they don't right. understand they think that there's some like the natural law the natural state of things is peace and it's not the natural th- things is dominance dominance yeah and that's and so in places like afghanistan and places like mex you know places in mexico where yeah whoever has whoever is able to exert the most violence and that's that's who wins. And you see it even in, you know, gang culture in yeah. America, right? Where it, it, and this it starts to be seen as not a good or a bad thing. It's just, it's, that's, it's almost respected, right? Like power in right. gang culture, in mob culture, mob, yeah. violence is respected because it's power. Right. Because that's the natural, the natural order is savagery. And I do think we get so far away from it. And then we turn into this like cow- the cowardly light and like everything scares us. And then we don't know why we have depression, anxiety and all this stuff, which is to swing that back to, you know, self-promote jujitsu real quick. I think that's why people are so drawn to jujitsu. Cause like we, yeah. ha- we're, we, we have that inside us and we have no way to release it. Right. We have no way to test ourselves. We have no way to do these things that we're meant to do. Yeah. And, and we, and we lack a sense of real real community and a real tribe around us. A lot of people do. We're more isolated than we ever have been, even though there's more of us. And jujitsu, at least a good jujitsu school, gives you gives you that. And it Mm -hmm. returns you to like for that that time, you're surrounded by supportive people. You're doing hard things. You're you're doing things physically and mentally challenging. And like your body needs to do those things for it to feel fulfilled. Yeah. And if you're and 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 if everything is empty and everything's about a quick shot of serotonin because of a, of a like on Instagram or a video or porn or whatever it is, right. then you, that you're sacrificing real fulfillment for the the short-term, you know, dopamine hit and 
just so somebody can sell you some some ads. Well, it, it's <laughs> you know? so, it's, that's it's, so true. It's ridiculous. Um, and the other thing is that you you're, you find yourself surrounded by people that demand the best from you, mm-hmm. which I don't think you see a lot too, especially in in a lot of the culture where it's like. You know, people, like you said, it's like a hardship now. It's like, my plane was 30 minutes late. I had to sit on the runway. Oh, and yeah. people will listen to that shit. Oh, my God. People will listen to that and uh, go, oh, my God, really? In Denver? <laughs> you had to sit on the runway for 30 extra minutes? I know. Oh, it, they only brought you water once? Yeah. What? Like, oh, my and God. And that's yeah. like, there's an old, I, I love comedy. So there's mm-hmm. an old Louis C.K. bit about that, which... Where Louis was like, you know, other places, people are like, oh, look, they're cutting our fucking heads off today. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. that's real world stuff. Yeah, it's so, like real, real problems versus versus the what people's perceived issues are. And I don't. It's funny because I don't. What I don't get is uh, the people, yeah, who sit there and like watch that on their phone. Like sometimes, like I love my wife more. She's my best friend. I love her. But like sometimes I look over and she's just, and she, I'm just listening. She just list some girls just like, oh my god, I my I went and got my dog. And I'm like, why are you listening to the errands that some random person <laughs> right. fucking yeah. ran today? Right. Like, yeah. how are you listening to this? Like, yeah. you have you have more power and more information in this phone than we On send the Mars them, space. Yeah, than we, yeah, than we sent people to the moon with and back. Yeah, and you're choosing to watch this lady complain about her mascara tone. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, right what now? are you doing? <laughs> it's insane. So where did you where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Kansas, actually. Really? I grew up in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, outside I Kansas know City. Lawrence. Yeah. I play Lawrence, dude. It's a great music and the art Granada town. Theater, dude. My my best friend's dad owned the Granada my whole time growing up. I bet really? you played for him. Yeah, Mister Elwell. He sold it. 15 years ago or so but um so i yeah i grew up at the granada we used to have like parties you know, him and i we, they let us yeah, like parties man. in junior high granada yeah. Shit. um yeah they're not right on mass street mm. um so you know it's a college town it's sort of like an oasis honestly inside yeah. um inside of kansas and but uh i was i didn't grow up with a lot of money uh raised by a single mom my mom uh you know, had me uh, unexpectedly. She would, she had dropped out of college. She was working as, and she had a decent job. She's a maitre d at a Marriott. Um, and this is why I kind of have I have this connection. To side side note, uh, explain to my friend that I like I love music and art. Yeah. I never had the patience to like do. I played the violin for eight years, but I never got good. Like I just never yeah. had the patience to sit down and do it. My ADD kicked in too much. But um, but like. My biological dad played in a band and traveled. He owns, uh, I haven't seen him since I was five, but he owns a, a place in the Ozarks and he plays mm. in the cover band. He's a singer and all stuff. My mom was a music and drama major. Like all this, like I have this like in me and I appreciate the hell out of it. I love it, but like yeah. I just never had the patience down and actually learn. But, um, but yeah, so my mom, you know, up until she married my stepdad when I was in junior high, uh, you know, had me and then quit her job to spend more time with me. Uh, had no financial help or any of any kind, uh, child support, anything from my biological dad, um, worked full time, put herself through undergrad and grad school, got her master's in, uh, in psychology, became a school psychologist to work with special needs kids. Yeah. And now is a special education administrator from the district and is retiring and, uh, in two years, um, because she just, she works with, uh, works with all kinds of, um, she specifically works with, uh, the transition of kids, and or young adults with special needs into the workforce and i mean just so like the best human being right you can imagine yeah and uh and so what i tell you all the time is i have like a slide up on, on a lot of presentation like you know everyone has their why and one of the whys i put up is her and i say like you know when you're 
when you grow up seeing that and mm-hmm. I didn't because of it, we didn't have, you know, we couldn't go on vacations. Um, I was a latchkey kid. We lived in college dorms. Like I, when I, when my mom got married to my stepdad, I remember I couldn't sleep for weeks cause it was so quiet. Cause I it was the first time I lived in a house because uh, I lived in a like college apartments yeah. and I was used to like keg parties and like, yeah. you know, like my mom would literally like, you know, the, the apartment pool, this is, you know, back when you could do this, like apartment pool was my babysitter. Like she'd like go to work and be like, go to the pool. Go to the pool. Don't leave, don't leave the pool unless you know <laughs> someone, you know? Right. And I was like, all right. Um, so, but when you see someone sacrifice and work like that, yeah. you know, mediocrity is, is like, it's not a, it's not an acceptable outcome for your life, you no. know, like, and, and there's no so there's no excuses anymore on why you, you can't do more and build on that. And so that was a lot of the foundation I got from her. And then just like, I got a lot of empathy, you know, cause Ooh. I remember working, you know, I would go help with like the kindergarten roundup for the special, especially the kids who worked at the special Olympics and being around yeah. that and just seeing how she every she she could see the humanity in everyone yeah and um so i'm really grateful that i i got that you know growing up from her she was definitely surprised when i decided to go in the military <laughs> was she? So, oh yeah she was she tried to talk me out of it but really? I, I explained why and you know i so did you I know, know like i mean obviously you're like i mean you're very athletic mm-hmm. did you play a lot of sports yeah when i grew up as a kid i played you know sports four seat you know four seasons a year. Um, and then it's like wrestling, baseball. Yeah. So I played mostly when I was growing up was mostly, um, baseball. I did track, um, and, uh, let's see, you know, soccer and, and all, uh, just a ton of stuff in basketball. And then actually basketball is like kind of my main thing, really? surprisingly. And then, but I, I wanted to wrestle when I was younger. I remember like the wrestling club came around school, but it was, it was like $50 a month and we didn't right. have the money. And so I was like, Hey, we sorry, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I couldn't do it. And then when I, when I went to junior high, it was the first, for one year there in like seventh grade, uh, you could, cause basketball and wrestling are the same season. And they, they were like, all right, you can do, it was the one time where you could do both. Cause like the seventh grade season was like different you know, oh, okay. than high school or whatever. So you could be like wrestling and then you could do basketball afterward. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to do wrestling and it'll be a good way to get in shape for basketball season. Right. Cause I was like the starting point guard or whatever, like seventh grade, you know, I was actually, it's, it's so funny to think about now, but you know, middle of, middle of Kansas. So <laughs> voted most likely to be in the NBA, right? <laughs> when I was in seventh grade, right? And I was like five foot three or something. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then I, but I wrestled in that and I loved it so much. That was the last year I played basketball. Really? And then I started wrestling basically three seasons a year from then on, yeah. uh, all the way until wrestled uh, I was like on the Kansas national team and uh, state runner up my senior year and you know wow. so I was, I was all state two years and team captain the last two years so I I wrestled three seasons a year and then uh wrestled at West Point for two years amazing you know, D1 so that's my background that's the reason that I was drawn to jiu-jitsu and um it still plays a strong role in my my view on jiu-jitsu and fighting and martial arts and stuff yeah like that. so when do you decide like um like West Point so, Number one, like getting in. Yeah, yeah. Number yeah. two, I was surprised. Honestly, when like what's that process like? Because that's it's different than normal college, right? So I sort of it's it's funny because I remember I think it's when you're like 15 or 16, even though you can't join yet, that like the army recruiters can start calling you, right? You Ooh. go on some list and they start calling you. Um, yeah, they didn't call me. They didn't call you. <laughs> you didn't make that list. I'm what kind of list I got of it. Um, man, I should. Yeah, I was I, paying child support. I was on the yeah. road. At oh, that's right. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. You were living the wildlife. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was de- definitely. They started calling at like 15 or 16. And I remember my mom kind of joking that she was like, "Oh, are you gonna join the army?" And I'm like, "Hell no! I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to KU, right? Because Kansas University's right yeah. there." And uh, I'm like, "I'm gonna go to KU and you know join a frat and do that whole thing." And I'm going to party. Uh, and I was like 15, 16. And then uh, later on, I was about 16, 17. I remember when well, then it's like, 
oh, it's just starting to get real, mm-hmm. right? It's like, yeah. oh, Life's college coming. is coming. Yeah, all this is about to come to an end. And I also think it just matured a little bit. And uh, and I started just really thinking like, well, where, where you go to college or what you do during this time matters. Like what you study matters, what you do matters. Because I started seeing, oh, this person went to this school. That led them to go to this. And right. uh, you start looking at the people who are successful. Oh, they all, these people went to good schools. They went to this school on a full ride. They got... And I had never really paid attention to grades because I thought I was going to go to like a small D1 school or D2 school on a wrestling scholarship. And I had offers like my junior year to go to some D2 school. I got some scholarship offers from like Nebraska, Missouri, stuff like that. And so I was like, I'm just going to go here and wrestle. And, you know, so grades don't matter that much. But I always took like AP classes and like college prep classes just because I thought they were interesting, like more interesting, but yeah. I didn't really, then I would like not study that hard. So I had like a three, three. So like I'd get like B's in like hard classes because I thought they were interesting, but I just wouldn't like work that hard to get A's or do whatever. Cause right. I didn't think it mattered. So I was going to wrestle. And then I was like, man, I, you know, maybe this is, you know, what do I want to do with my life? All that stuff. And I, for whatever reason to start this, I started realizing, I think as I started getting more global and reading the news and seeing what's going on around the world, which was harder to do. It was way harder to do back then, right? In the nineties, yeah. because yeah, you couldn't get on Google and just find shit. Yeah, no, yeah, it was. <laughs> it def- I was like reading newspapers, like with my hands and stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was. I started realizing, like, man, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. This is a pretty great place to live, mm-hmm. and uh, and well, why is that? Why why is this? Why is this stuff I'm reading about not happening where I am? And so I felt this sense of like, well, it's because of other people um, and the sacrifices and that they've made to create this country and defend it. So I felt this call to do it. And then I was like, well, I want to go to a good school. Well, how am I going to pay for it? If I go to a good school, well, um, if I can't wrestle, then maybe RTC or something like that. I'd always, yeah. I always, I always had this leadership bend. I said, I'd been a team captain for, I'd always, for some reason I just always end up in you're charge natural. of stuff. Yeah. It just sort of happens. And you're very good at it. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, just, I don't know. I just, it just happened. So I was like, well, that's a good way to go. And then I found out about West. I didn't even know what it was. Um, but I had like a traveling, you know, college stuff come around and, Luckily for me, the thing about the service academies like Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, West Point is even though the education is at like an Ivy League level, they're not looking for, you know, the guy in his mom's basement that's going to like, you know, write the next code or cure cancer. Right. Or send it. They're, they're looking for like it's more of a whole person concept. They're looking for people to lead soldiers. So luckily that was more, you know, it, it, even though my grades weren't great, they liked the fact they took, you know, AP classes. Yeah. Um, they liked the athletics. They liked the leadership. Um, and, you know, I was an Eagle Scout. I did those other stuff. So... I checked a lot of boxes and I said, well, man, I think I, if, if I'm going to do this military thing, I need to do, I need to do a service academy. I applied to all three, but my first choice is West Point. And, um, yeah, I got in through, I got into like early action in October, my senior year and told my mom, she's like, you know, why do you want to do this? Yeah. Uh, and, and like, I don't know, forever I had this like epiphany, even though I was so young, where I just told her, I'm like, mom, I think it's, I think I'm going to, it's going to make me a better man. Yeah. And she's like, what do you, later she told me, she's like, what do you say to that? When your son says, yeah. I want to go here because I think it's going to make me a better man. Um, and, and I, I There's knew no it. rebuttal for that. Yeah. And, and I knew I needed it. Like I knew that it would be great for me. I knew it was the best school academically I was going to be able to get into. Right. Um, I, I knew it was going to play to my strengths. Um, and I knew that even though I would probably regret it later at points, the, the rigidity of it and the discipline of it would be good for me. Mm. Um, and it would put me in a position to do something that was very unique. And so I did it, man. So you go to West point. Yeah. That experience there. Crazy. <sighs> yeah. I tell people West point's a great place to be from, not at, <laughs> it's uh, you know, upstate New York and snow, six feet of snow in April. And, but, but the other thing is you get an education there 
in a way that you just you just can't you literally can't get anywhere else because of the environment. So yeah. like I had one semester in four years of less than twenty credit hours, hmm. and I was a D one athlete for the first two years, and and that's on top of the leadership stuff and everything else. So I mean. I mean, you, you go through Calc one through five in two and a half semesters, everybody. Wow, so it's, man. so the, and, and there's a federal law that says there's no, there's no grad assistance, right? Everybody's a professor and you have to have a 17 to one, uh, student to teacher ratio in every class. So I didn't have 300 person lecture halls. I wow. had 15 people on my psychology one-on-one class. Unreal. And so, and then you guys yeah. still have to like drill, right? You guys are still out drilling and yeah, you still military drill stuff. military stuff. I mean, you're still, you know, a plebeian. I got out of some of that stuff cause I was an athlete, which was yeah. nice my first year, but, um, it kind of gave me like a little, a little haven away from it. Yeah. But uh, you know, when we were at practice, but yeah, I mean, you're from the time you show up to basic training. So I went to, you know, started basic training, three weeks after I graduated high school in June and then went through right. basic training and then start the academic year. But from that time until spring break of your uh, freshman year or plebe year, as I call it, you know, when you're outside or talking to upperclassmen, you only have three responses. You only have three things you can say. Yes, sir, ma'am. No, sir, ma'am. No excuse, sir, ma'am. That's it. And you have to march everywhere. You, I remember I got smoked walking to class one time because there were these birds that flew by. I was like, oh, those are pretty birds. And I looked aside and I had this upperclassman just sitting there just just smoke the shit out of me before oh. I went to class. Just doing jumping jacks, push-ups, all stuff. Just yell because really? he's like, what are you doing looking around? You know, he can't even look around. So uh, you get some time to have them introspection, <laughs> and you learn You learn when to, like, you, you learn discipline. Birds. Yeah, you learn that guy. <laughs> I, I'm like, I hate birds now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so West yeah. Point, you go through there. Mm -hmm. And then, so instead of like you do like basic training instead of most people go to like their a school or their tech school or mm -hmm. whatever right you go to west point yeah you just go right and the basic training is actually like a cadet basic training so okay. it's all west point cadets it's run by west point cadets mm. um it's still two months but yes yeah, so you do like a summer training then you do your freshman year which is a lot of military so yeah i mean you've got you know you're in uniform uh your room has to be clean all the time you know have saturday morning inspections so you know my friday nights were a little different than most college kids and we were you know <laughs> yeah. cleaning our room for eight hours uh, a day and get white glove inspections the next day and um that sort of stuff and you don't get you get like a couple weekends off mm. your first year um and then you don't really get like to go out on the weekends until you're a senior like or like second part of your junior year couldn't have a car till spring break or junior year. Wow. Honestly, you didn't need one. You know where to go. Right. Um, but yeah, so it was, you know, you didn't, I didn't get the social college experience, but, uh, it, but it, man, it's just, I look back at it and I still to this day, I'm like, man, you know, I, the, honestly with the whole military, every once in a while you're like, okay, I mean, I gave up, you know, I said gave up, you know, I, I didn't have a college experience the way yeah. I could have. Uh, my twenties were a lot different than most 20 year olds. Um, I gave up a lot of time, you know, 14 years, but the, but I, I wouldn't be the person I am today sure. if I hadn't gone through that and the perspective I have. And, you know, I just, I feel like I crammed, uh, you know, almost a lifetime worth of life lessons, leadership lessons, global, all these, all these things. I just, I crammed all that into like 14 years. Yeah. And so then it put me in a place where I did get out after, you know, being in the infantry, going to Iraq. I was a scout and sniper platoon leader in Iraq, special forces, all that stuff, all those experiences. You know, I showed up to my first SF team and, you know, I'm like, I'm the new captain, right? You're, you're the, I'm the new, newest guy on the team, but I'm, I'm the commander. And by the way, I'm the youngest guy on the team too. I was 28. Right. Everybody else is older than me. Yeah. And three weeks or three days later, I was out in Coronado with them training with SEAL Team 5, like 
learning to take down ships at night, you know, climbing up the side on a, you know, the caving ladder. And then we got pulled back early from that by Secretary Rumsfeld because Afghanistan was going to shit. So then I got sent to Afghanistan six weeks later and I was on the Pakistan border six weeks later. Wow. I mean, you just like, you just, it's trial by fire. Um, right. And it's like, you know, how long do you have to work at your corporate nine to five job to get those leadership lessons? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know if you can. And so yeah, I, it's allowed me to be in a position now as an entrepreneur where like, I don't know if I would have survived the failure of my first business. You know, I say survive, like, well, maybe survive, but I, def- I, I, I think I would have, I, I would never have been able to persevere through that and then say, all right, that was a good lesson and then start again. Start again. There's yeah. no way I would have retreated back to shelter. Um, if I didn't, if I hadn't had that hardening, that mental hardening, that resilience and that confidence. And at the end of the day, like, you know, my employees, sometimes I remember, uh, or I remember it came up a couple of times where they were really, really stressed. The business wasn't doing great. And I just had to like stop. I'm like, all right, guys, I would stop. Just come here. I'm like, look, kind of the mindset we just, we started with like, look, the sun's out. We're in yeah. America. No one's shooting at us. Right. It's a good fucking day. It's you good. know, it's a good yeah. day. Like, let's relax a little bit, you yeah. know? And, uh, nobody's dying. Yeah. No one's dying around you. You know, the, 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 the consequences are important, but let's be real. Let's, you know, let's take that step back. Sure. And that perspective is something that, you know, only comes with experience. You can't, you, you, you can't read a book and understand that, you know, yeah. I can, I can talk to you about your, you know, the tour stuff and all that and the music industry and the grind and the creative pro- and, and I find it fascinating, but like, I don't understand it, you right. know, like I, you, not like you do, you know? Right. And so having experienced that stuff has put me in a position where I don't know, I'm, I have this perspective where I'm grateful every day. And you know, the story I tell is my big why that we, we mentioned before was, you know, I, pull my car in. I don't have a garage because I live in East Nashville and garages are expensive. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I get out and, uh, and I walk around my front door and, you know, if it's anytime it's cold, wet, any of that, any of this outside, I get on my front porch and I talk about a real rush of like serotonin, dopamine, all the feel good chemicals, everything, the sense of, ah, because I'm like, I don't have to lay in that. Like, yeah, I don't, you're not I, sleeping I, in I spent a lot of nights shivering in the mud <laughs> and like, I get to, I'm in a porch. Like I right. and I get to go into a loving wife and my dogs are going to greet me. And yep. you know, I get to get on the couch with a comfy, you know, a blanket and a cold beer. And you know what, if it's, if we're a little chilly, we'll hit a button and it'll be 70 degrees inside. Yeah. And how amazing is that? And yes, almost everyone in America gets to do that every day. True perspective. And they don't, but they don't get to feel that way about yeah. it. And I'm like so grateful for the sacrifice um, and those experiences because in the big, you know, span of my life, those however many, you know, I probably spent a few hundred days of my life living in mud and dirt and cold. But for that, you know, let's say one year of my life total, I get a lifetime of perspective perspective and, you know, it's priceless. It's invaluable. Yeah, it really is. Which is why I mean it's it's such a fascinating thing especially guys like you because it's for me like finding perspective took just a lot of failing and then making myself uncomfortable like mm-hmm. go like when I found like the stoicism thing where I was like I'm 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 going to not eat for 2 days or yeah. I'm going to take cold showers every day except for Sundays or whatever it is yeah. and when you guys are being put through that, you know, not on your own accord, you know, <laughs> yeah. defending everyone here. Um, but it's such an interesting path. And then going from West Point to 
your job, which what what was your like so when I was, you go uh, in because you don't start at special forces. Obviously. No, no, yeah, not you know, especially when I was an officer. So um, I went to the regular army, so I wasn't in the infantry. Okay, um, and so go down to Fort Benning, uh, you do your. Uh, form you do like an infantry officer basic course, right? Um, so, so you come in as a lieutenant, yeah, second lieutenant. Okay. So yeah, so there's so there's like three ways to become an officer, right? Mm. Um, well, okay, four. So three main ways. You have uh, a service academy, right? So like West Point Naval Academy, Air Force, whatever, and then you have ROTC, mm-hmm. and then you have OOCS, which is usually like enlisted people that are enlisted like specialists or privates or somebody that usually has or a sergeant officer candidate school, officer candidate school. Right. so they're already in the military usually they have to have I, th- I could be misquoting but it's about like two years of college basically okay. and then they get selected they go to this school and then they have to come you have to complete as an active officer you have to complete your bachelor's degree i think by the time you come in a first lieutenant or a captain like so everyone has a four-year degree if they're an officer basically um so those are like the three main ways but everybody comes to second lieutenant so it's not like you come to west point and you get a higher right. a higher rank or something it doesn't matter if you went to you know whatever small state school and you went to rdc you're you're in the same class you're the same rank everything okay. um and the only other i say there's a fourth which is direct commission which that's usually like doctors or lawyers they'll come okay. in as like majors you know if they like need have a need for this specialty gotcha. um but uh, yeah, so you you know you go through that 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 course, and then as an infantry guy, you have follow on stuff. So you have to go to airborne school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all infantry guys have to do it. Still, at the time, it was mainly because you were uh, I was going to light infantry because they have like heavy infantry that does with like Bradleys and tanks and right. stuff. But I was going to be like just you know walking in. Mm-hmm. So we had to go to airborne school because it was you know we had to be able to go to different units, and then also uh, Army Ranger school, which is <laughs> how was that experience? <laughs> Brutal, brutal, brutal. Um, I rely on. And is that done that at Campbell? A lot. So that's done at Fort Benning. Okay, um, yeah, Fort Benning, Georgia. And there's so so. The, I'll give you the quick synopsis of, of Ranger School. So Ranger School is a leadership school, but they use infantry tactics, small like light infantry unit tactics, as the method to teach and train leadership under extreme conditions. Mm-hmm. And so you have basically four phases. You have a Hell Week. Um, which is to weed people out, see if they're mentally ready and physically right. ready. And then you have three, sort of about three-week um, phases. So the first is, they call Benning phase, but it's at Fort Benning, um, and you work at like a small squad level, like nine people, and you you know, you know learn to plan missions and do all stuff, and the whole time you're getting, you know, you're getting destroyed all the time. Yeah. You know, they start you with four hours of sleep a night, and it goes down from there. They start you with two meals a day, and it goes down from there. And... Um, and then after you, if you go through that, you go to patrol phase and all this stuff, you go to patrols in the woods, then you move on to mountain phase and you go to Dahlonega, Georgia, which is like the Southern Appalachians. Yeah. And then you learn mountaineering stuff. And first time when I first started out, that was February. Oh, it's pretty, pretty cold. And, um, <laughs> and so you go do that up in the mountains and do patrols out there. And then in the last phases in, um, uh, Eglin air force base in Florida, it's mm. in the swamps. So it's swamp phase. So then you learn how to navigate through the swamp and how to do riverine operations on boats and all this stuff. Um, and the whole time you're hungry and sleep deprived to a pretty extreme level. But the exercise then is, can you get these people to do under these worst conditions when no one wants to be there. Everyone's cold. Everyone's wet. Everyone's tired. Well, the only people being evaluated really are the people in charge. So can you get these people to do that? And then also there, then there's peer evaluation. So like, are you a good teammate when you're not actually the one get evaluated? Are you, you know, the shithead who goes to sleep every time? Um, and so 
they put you in these extreme conditions. And I had a very, if you go straight through, it's like two months. Uh, now it's about 18% of people go straight through. And I, at the time it was about 50, 60% actually graduate. Okay. Um, so what happens is you get graded at the end of each one of those phases. Now hell week, I'm pretty sure you can't recycle, but the other three phases, um, you, you can recycle and basically you just have to do that phase again <laughs> and okay. you start with the next class. Uh, and so it's supposed to be two months. I was there for five months. Whew. So, <laughs> um, so as someone who's kind of like a high achiever and I was kind of done well, yeah. um, and I went through, I was going through fine and I went all the way through mountain face. So I was like, I got three weeks left, man. And when you're a place like ranger school or just a shitty situation, uh, right. What kind of gets you through that is you, you know, as you make tick marks in your patrol book of each day, so you can keep track of what day it is, right. uh, is you're like, at least I don't have to do today. You know, the morning comes up, you're like, thank God I don't have to do that night again. Cause right. that night was awful. Yeah. And you just keep going. And then at the end of that to have someone be like, no, no, the last three weeks, you got to do all those nights again <laughs> is cool. brutal. Yeah. And so, you know, what happened was I was actually, usually you get two to three chances to be in charge of something and you have to pass one of them. If you pass one, you get to go for it. I was in, I was in a really bad platoon of guys that just like everyone kind of sucked and infighted and there were some shitty people that would like fall asleep and just, it created problems. And so I only got one patrol. And, you know, got pulled at the end. We did grades and basically he said, hey, look, if you were an enlisted soldier in this, he's like, you didn't do bad. Um, but it, uh, but you weren't, I wasn't like uh, aggressive enough of a leader. I've always been sort of really good with like peer to peer leadership. Right. Um, I'm fine with like, hey, bro, you know, like using a little bit of guilt, you know, inspiring. a little bit of like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, like guilt expiring. I like that. I'll go with inspiring. Yeah. So I'll use a little bit of that um, <laughs> and just be like, hey, you know, hey, man, I need you to do that. Let's do that. Hey, let's all rally together. You know, that's my thing. And then that's always worked for me. But they're like, like, they wanted to see you like, you know, like grab someone by the chin strap or helmet and like slam their head in the ground. Like, wake the F up, dude. You yeah, know, yeah. like they want to see that um, because in the infantry, you got to do that sometimes um, right. in these bad situations. And, you know, he basically said, if you were, if you were an enlisted guy, like you did all right, like I'd probably pass. He was like, but you know, you're a, a second lieutenant with no military experience other than West Point, And you're going to the 101st Airborne Division. And you're, you know, this is 2006 at the time, you know, he's like, you're going to deploy, like you're going to combat with soldiers. And like, I, I need to, I need to see you be more aggressive of a leader. So they sent me back to restart mountain phase. So mountain phase, I wait like two weeks. You get a little fat and happy. You get to sleep some more. You get some. You actually get to eat three meals a day. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Next group comes in. We start again. I'm killing it. You know. I'm like, let me. Sh I know I've done it before. I'm like, let me. Yeah. We're doing mountain. I'm like, let me show you the knots, guys. You know. I'm an yeah, eagle yeah. scout. I'm like, look at this. You know, like repelling. I'm like, you guys got this. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna go through this thing. And we get done. And then we come back from like the first week of this mountain mountaineering part. And uh, one of the young soldiers from actually Ranger Regiment, he was there, had left his locker unlocked. And they went through and found uh, tobacco, which you're not allowed to have, Ooh. and food, like trail mix, you're not allowed to have. Oh. And so when everyone came back, instead of coming back and be like showers and, you know, get some sleep, it was stand out front and health and welfare check. They're going through every, tossing everybody's stuff, looking for contraband. And I'm like, thank God, because some guys I know, guys who like recycle, because you get access to like people get sending you, you get to have packages and stuff. Yeah. And they were, you know, they like, I mean, the guys only had like caches in the woods, they like with GPS and Mark with like, <laughs> you know, sticks pointing to like go try to, you know, get extra, extra calories at night. Just crazy stuff. And I'm like, thank God I didn't do that. You know, like, I, I was like, because I was like, I'm not doing this again. Like, yeah. this is like one of the worst things. I mean, I was on the, t I was a grown man on the phone with my mother in tears, you know, at yeah. Army Ranger School telling her how to redo this phase. I'm like, I'm not doing it again. I don't care how bad it is. I'm like, thank God I didn't do that. 
Well, they go through dump my stuff, and then out of this, out of one of my old uniforms, it was so nasty that I wasn't even gonna wear it again because it was so gross from patrolling. Yeah, like came falls out like two sugar packets, like those little sugar packets, you know, like you have like a diner, your, like your coffee. Yeah, yeah, had fallen out. He's like, "Oh, you hiding these ranger?" I'm oh, like, dude, no. I like, sir, I, I, I didn't know you know they were there. He was like, "Da da da." He's like, "Oh, these look like they're from the chow hall too. Like you stole sugar, like for the." Oh. So Neil say they made me pack my stuff and they sent me back to Fort Benning and then I met with a the colonel there and uh, it was funny the sergeant major just kept looking at me as I told my story and he's like sugar packets I'm like sugar packets sergeant major he's like, you got you got sent back for sugar packets <laughs> I'm like sugar packets sergeant major <laughs> um, and the and the colonel was like you know what do you think should happen I'm like honestly sir I think this is an issue of attention to detail and oversight. So it should be like a, you know, a major minus on my record, but I think I should be able to go back and, you know, I was, I was killing her. Like, let me send it back to mountain phase. He's like, well, you know, my subordinate commander who's in charge of mountain phase sent you back. He's like, so I would basically be not supporting my junior, my junior subordinate's decision. If I send you back right now, and he's like, and I would start you with the current class at Benning right away, but they just started their field problem. Like they had just marched out to start their stuff. So if you're going to stay, you have to wait 30 days because we have this best ranger competition thing that comes through mm-hmm. and basically do manual labor every day for 30 days and, and then you'll start with a nice class with hell week <laughs> it start all over you again all over and again. i was already there for two months i had to wait a month so i you know painted rocks and i pulled weeds out of the cracks in the parking lot all day yeah worked out and that's what i did for 30 days and i started hell week again i went straight through so i started my my birthday february 6th and i graduated june 30th so I was there for five months. That was my ranger school experience. Earned, not given. <laughs> Absolutely. Earned, not given. And, and I, I, I think back to that, like at Special Forces Selection, you know, Special Forces Dive School, like all these other things, combat, like all these other times, multiple times in my life as an entrepreneur, every once in a while, I'm like, it's not as bad as ranger school. Well, and I, <laughs> you know, I don't think that any of that's a coincidence. I really yeah. don't believe any of that is a coincidence. I... Every every hardship that we've had on the road or that I, we've encountered in our stuff, it's I'm always like, man, it, if had I not gone through this, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have gotten through this. You yeah. know what I mean? And so to think about all the successes you've had now, mm-hmm. all the things that are coming together for you in your civilian life uh, as a business owner and a leadership advocate, uh, it, that that ranger experience is inv- again invaluable you know mm-hmm. what I, mean? I mean it's like especially for guys that re- like excel like yeah. it's obvious even just meeting you for 10 minutes I, when i first met you you can tell that you excel at what you do it's very obvious um from your demeanor to just handshakes and eye contact and the way that you speak to people and the way you motivate people i was talking to um a uh another friend of both of ours, Jason Strickland, who mm-hmm. I know that, you know, you guys are really tight, Yeah. but it's like, I was like, man, if, I, if you're starting a, a company, that guy is such <laughs> a motivator. And he's like, Oh man, he's so good. You know, it's <laughs> like your motivation though. And the way that you are with people is incredible. Um, and so well, I want to get to you, that yeah. too. So, so you go through, you know, the military, you go through yeah. special forces. How many times were you deployed? Uh, so I was deployed like on major deployments, like three times. Um, I, so basically about 22 months in combat and just over 30 months of like total deployed time. Um, so 14 months in Afghanistan, eight months or 14 months in Iraq, eight months in Afghanistan. Um, and then a few other little places I did like four months in Lebanon, which Mm. is really interesting. We were 
training the Lebanese Marine Commandos, which is like the Lebanese Navy SEALs. Wow. Um, yeah, because it was interesting because they usually get trained by the Navy SEALs. They're like their partner force. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the SEALs a little bit, but, you know, we're, we're brotherly uh, rivalry, right? Sure. Um, but they basically would, they would do, they're great on ships, so they would teach them to take down ships, and yeah. they would, they're, and because they're good at ships, they're great. They're they're really good at CQB, like uh, close quarters battle, like being okay. houses. Like right. seals are good at that because honestly, if you can, it's almost like if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Right? Like if, right. you, yeah. if, you can, if you can like shoot and communicate inside of like these small little things, tiny sh- hallways, tiny hallways, and, and all that stuff in a ship, like you can handle a house, right? Yeah. Um. So they would generally train them on that. Well, then what happened was, um, and this was right when the Syrian War, Civil War, was kicking off is in Tripoli, which is in northern Lebanon, uh, was a major smuggling route in to support um, ISIS and some of the other okay. Russian-backed groups uh, from the Mediterranean. And so they would smuggle arms and supplies and stuff through right. Tripoli. And so Lebanon was trying to go up and stop it. Well, they were like through the urban environment, like through the streets, and uh, they were getting fucked up. Like, really? Yeah, like this company went up with 120 soldiers in a four day weekend and had 80 casualties Oh, just getting mowed down. And, and for all everything, the seals are great at ground warfare is not one of them. Okay. So luckily, uh, the, uh, the senior operations officer for the Lebanese Marine commandos had gone through as like an exchange student, our special unit tactics. So like our small unit tactics, excuse me, small unit tactics. So like our, the tactical portion of, um, our green beret training, mm. And he's like, we need Green Berets. And so my team was actually the first Green Beret team to go train one of their line uh, companies. And so we took him out to the Becca Valley um, and made him just live in the woods, which we're not used to, and taught him just basic like ambush, reactive contact, basic military infantry stuff. Um, and like I, one of the, it's one of my proudest accomplishments, honestly, outside of combat, because that went so well that then the regional security officer, who's the senior. Uh, military attache in the country and the and the uh, ambassador it went so well that it, that's still an ongoing thing so oh, wow. now the green Berets still are the ones who train Training. train them in uh ground warfare because their casualty rate decreased by like 90 percent wow. um because we're actually teaching them how to like fight in the open mm. so yeah so you get to do cool stuff like that as not just combat and stuff yeah so when did you get out Man, it'll be, it's five years this month. Wow, man, yeah, congrats. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, 2015, um, I got out. And uh, honestly, looking back, I should have, like, taken a knee for a year, but I'm Not really your thing. So, yeah, not really my thing. I'm not, I, I, I always <laughs> like, man, I should I should have rested last weekend. I didn't. Yeah. But, um, but I was, you know, I was excited. Um, yeah. And I always knew, I was respected entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, and so when I, when I got out, I basically, if you think about it, I had it at that point too, I was about to pin major. I'd done all the line time, which is the reason I got out. Cause I'm like, I've done all the stuff I came in to do. Everything mm-hmm. else is going to be a lot of, a lot of desk job, basically policy work or whatever. And I was like, I basically am working in the best corporate job you could have. Like right. I, I was getting paid well, I was getting ready to get promoted, get paid even more. I got full benefits. I can retire in 10 years, <laughs> yeah. retire at 42 with yeah. full benefits for the rest of my life. And I'm working with the best people cause I'd still be in special operations, you know, the best people, uh, with an important mission, like, per, like all these things. Um, but I don't know. I just, I, I had gotten to this point where like at the end of five years, I could have gotten out, um, at my time in the industry and I had 14 months of deployed, deployed and all that stuff. But I just knew inside, like, I got more to give. Right. I got more to learn. And when I, at that end of the 10 years, I was like, 
it started it stopped being as much of like drinking from a fire hose and like building me up with all these crazy experiences, like really pushing me all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was more just like, well, let's put together the quarterly battle brief again and let's do this again. Let's write policy papers and make sure people don't get in trouble. And I didn't, I think it was going to be more limiting. And I just, I don't know. I just got to this point where I was like, I I was like, okay, I've done my part. Yeah. Yeah. I just had this sense inside. I'm like, I I can live with this. Like I can live with what I've done now and feel like I've done my part and be sad and be satisfied. And then on and also had this entrepreneur itch of like how excitement of these people that go out with, you know, no safety net and like bet on themselves and just make it happen. And I was like, well, if that's what excites you and that's who like you respect, um, that effort, like, well, you got to go do it then. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted, I always knew that leadership coaching speak, like, taking these lessons that I had crammed, you know, a lifetime with the lessons I crammed into, you know, 14 years that I wanted to share that because I just saw businesses and organizations struggle so much. I just, the leadership was lacking everywhere. I saw leadership was lacking. Yeah. Like basic shit that like as a 24 year old, I learned, right. I was like, I see these 50 year old CEOs doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, I want to help that. And it's such a powerful thing, but I didn't want to be the military guy who got out and said, Hey, I just led soldiers. Let me teach you how to run your business now. Right. And I'd never done it. And so I said, well, I've got to do two things then. One, if I respect entrepreneurism, then, and also I feel like, I feel like entrepreneurs and small business owners in the business world are kind of like, they're like kind of like the special forces guys in the business world, yeah. right? They're like, they're like the cowboys gorilla, like out yeah. there on their own, just making things happen uh, in the, these stressful environments. So I'm like, you're going to start a company and make get it in the black and make it profitable and you're going to get an MBA so I have a formal education in the business world I can understand where it all comes from and have a wider breadth of yeah. understanding and so I got my MBA when I got out I did a full-time online program with UNT Chapel Hill which was way harder than I thought it was going to be but I also got way more out of it than I thought it was going to be it was a really great program yeah um and then I started my first business I bought a franchise I raised capital I mean I raised like more capital than I should have I mean honestly I raised over half a million dollars with loans yeah. and investments. And I was like, I'm going to start a fitness franchise, got a, a sort of hybrid um, martial arts fitness franchise going. And the idea was, well, if you get a franchise, right, you've got a proven business model, you've got corporate backing. So I was like, cool. I've got like, someone's going to hand me the play to run this. That has been proven to work. I just got to run the play and lead people. I right. do that. Not as simple as it sounds yeah. and didn't get the same support. And, you know, it's also a way to, I always, I'd be way more hesitant for talk to people about franchising now, knowing what I know, because not just in that company, but I know a lot of other companies where it doesn't go the way that it's sold to people. Sure. And, you know, it's one thing if you buy a McDonald's and put in a corner where there's no McDonald's, like you're going to be fine. Right. right. Or like a Subway or something like yeah. something everybody knows. But if you don't have that kind of brand recognition um, and establishment, nothing's a guarantee because right. really now you're having to, even if people in California know the brand well. People in Nashville don't. That means nothing to people here. Right. So you're really starting from from scratch the same way as if it was your own place. You have to build the brand and educate people yourself. Exactly. And long story short, man, I just, I grinded and grinded for years. And we were talking earlier, I mean, I had health problems. I, you know, 22 months in combat, 14 years in the Army, never had a panic attack, never had any of that stuff. I had anxiety. I had two panic, full-blown panic attacks, a wake-up screaming all night. And right. I had, I was getting these skin conditions. The doctors couldn't recognize uh, it. was like eating the skin on my back. Like I was just going cause I'm just, someone, I'm just hard headed and it's a blessing and a curse sometimes Yeah. and just kept pushing and try to make it work. And eventually I'm like, dude, this is not going to work. And the hardest part honestly is like, I mean, don't get me wrong. 
everybody likes money, like freedom, all stuff. Sure. But like, if it's just if it's just my, I probably would have quit way before. But when I when you when you take other people's hard earned money and yeah. they invest in you and they believe in you to look them in the eye, and be like, man. I mean, it, it felt like ranger school again, right? It felt like right. Like fuck, I failed, and I, yeah. and, I, and these people counted on me and believed in me, and that was the hardest thing, man. I broke down, and I'm like, all right, so I'm gonna get a little deep now. But anyway, I, I remember I came home, and you know, this is just the way I think. Is you know, I got home, I remember my uh, fiance, uh, or she's my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, Bo. Um, but I remember I came home, and I was having one of those panic, and I started bawling because I realized it wasn't gonna work. And I started crying, and I was like. How can I, how am I going to change the world if I can't sell fucking gym memberships? Yeah, <laughs> like that's my mentality. Because I came in like I'm, I'm that's why I want to change the world. And I'm like, how can I not make a franchise gym work with everything I've done? And it was so disheartening. But um, you know, I'm I met with Jason and a couple partners, and I was like, I have I part of what was working with was the martial arts side, and I knew that we've been running that with basically out corporate support anyway. Right. And I was like, and I met another uh, Gabriel, who's our head professor at Legion Jiu-Jitsu, and had the same vision. And so they started a company, and I came along with it and um, helped them get it going, and and uh, you know closed the one gym and got through you know bankruptcy, lost everything, and learned a lot of hard lessons. Again, yeah. grabbing a lot of lessons in a few years there, and uh, you know now two years later, uh, you know Legion Jiu-Jitsu is the fastest growing team in state of Tennessee we're we're at three locations in yeah. two oh, two little over two years and they're all in the black and That's we've amazing. got a great student base and so then yeah end of last year I I kind of was at a place where like you know what like I'm not ready to just switch it off and change over the next thing because legions I'm going to keep being a part of legion I'm going to keep teaching I'm going to keep I'm the director of operations to keep doing that stuff but um it was at a place where we we're out of the startup phase we're like I'm like all right Sean like you don't you don't need to be like inventory and geese and cleaning the urinals every day. Right? Like you could probably find someone to do that, you know? Right. And, uh, and so as we grew and I said, well, let's now's the time to do that leadership stuff. The stuff I knew that that's what I wanted to get. But like you said, you know, this stuff needed to happen and I needed to learn those lessons yeah. and I needed to do it myself. I needed to go down the hard road, you know, like, yeah. like you did go actually live it, uh, to be at a place where not, not just like to have it on your resume. Cause who gives a shit, but like, the skill sets that I have now and my understanding of business. Cause I've done, I've ran a business. I've been the CEO. I worked some other startups as well and I've done everything and I've been the salesman on the ground. You know, yeah. I've been beating the streets with flyers in my hands, talking to people, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I feel like I'm in a good place to, to start that. And I launched, you know, Sean Patton presents end of last year and the response has been really good. And I'm still finding, you know, with anything new, kind of finding your voice and, you have what you want to do and you have what like the market is ready for. Sure. And so I'm still refining that. Cause you know, sometimes I come in a little, a little heady. Like you said, I'm a little like, we're going to change the world and the mindset you're going to be blah, yeah. blah, blah. And be like, whoa, whoa, pump the brakes. We just want to increase our revenue by 3%. You know, like pump the brakes and come down to like some, some stuff. But you know, I put together like this leadership workshop where I, uh, I teach mindset and I teach and I try to take it in on from special forces, but make it, adaptable to the to the the person who's trying to be their best right. and leadership um and as long as i'm with you know working with motivated um motivate people who want to make a difference and want to be their best selves like i that's who that's like my client like if you if you're that type of person like man i got you and and i've been blessed to find some people that want to do that and i i teach them some of the leadership lessons i teach them some tactics and tips and stuff that i learned in combat like effective communication mm. mindset um all these different different principles, you know, even and then I teach them 
how to lead a team through planning. And then we actually do like a, like a little military exercise. Yeah. So it gets them completely out of their comfort zone sure. and it puts them in different roles and, um, and they get to try that and they do a little ambush with Nerf guns and they learn, learn things about, you know, applying stuff. And you see that, that sort of failure curve and something new happen really fast. Right. And you start like, Oh man, what if we apply this to what we do every day? Right. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm just really excited about it. It's a new chapter and, um, and I'm, I've got the, you know, the, the, the lead jujitsu and that is like my backbone and mm. my, my people, right. You talk about like, yeah. it's my, it's my community and I've got this great tribe of people that I get to work with and I get to train in something I'm really passionate about. Jiu-jitsu is always going to be a part of my life and what I do. It's, it's, I mean, I'm hoping I'm, I'm doing it until they put me down on the ground yeah. and, uh, and teaching it. And I love it and I love seeing what it gives people. And then now to be able to sort of start to work with leaders who are, you have these hard challenges and they're putting these situations now where they've got, you know, million dollar budgets and they've got these big organizations and teams, but no one's ever, no one sat down and actually trained them. You know, they never, they didn't have ranger school. (laughs) They didn't have these other things, you know, and business school gives you knowledge, but it doesn't teach you how to lead anything. Right. And so, and I just see that as such a, a need. And, you know, what drives me is that, that I look at the world, like we talk about, and I see, I see seeing the potential in everyone and so if everyone reached that potential, like where we could be as a society, I think mm. we've talked about this before, like where we could be as a society or where we could be as a country, where it could be as a world, like what, like the world we should all be living in, we should be living in, li- yeah. living in. If everyone tried, attempted to be their best person, their best self, and the world we actually live in are so vastly different that yeah. it like pisses me off, you know? And yeah. If I can do a little part, but it, it, you can't tackle the world, but I can tackle and help people who want to get closer to their own potential. And if everyone just tries to do a little bit more of that, then we can get ourselves closer to where we should be. Exactly. I, there, there's a thing of, are you contributing or are, are you just finding something to fucking do with your time? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like um, when you when you look at the way the world works anyway and and micro touches on this too when when they start going you know they've sold this dream of go to go to high school go to college get your degree get out um get married have your 2.5 kids <laughs> yeah. you know get the three bedroom what whatever it is but like this kind of this lie of of shit where you need college you need you know now look if you're going to go if you want to be a doctor yeah, you yeah, absolutely yeah. need college yeah, engineer or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're going to be a photographer, you need to go take a million pictures <laughs> yeah. and figure out your weak points and then go take a class specified for the weak point. Like, mm-hmm. I'm really good with people, but I suck at nature. Light. Like, I suck at light. Okay, well, go huh. take a class on the lighting aspect of yeah. it to improve your game, you know? And, and, and I think it's something, too, where there's people that have made the mistakes have failed at something, quit trying, where it's like, you're not your failure. You know, you, you know, Sean is not the failure of the last gym. Sean is the sum of all of these things that have come together and to get you where you're at now. And so it's like, you're not who you were last week. You're not who you were last year. You're not your last failure. You're Mm -hmm. not your last stumbling block, you know, which I always go back to the, the obstacle is the way, you know, what, uh, what, um, is in the way of your 
procession is the way that you get there, you know, by the struggle is the best part of it. Everybody <laughs> yeah. I know in the music business, all we talk about when we get together is when we were sleeping on fucking floors. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't talk about like the badass house in Brentwood anymore, now. right? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's in a bus. But it was like, yeah. man, do you remember, man, remember we stayed in that place that had been half burned down <laughs> and you're just like, I mean, and you, you hear it from guys in combat too, oh, where it's yeah. like, man, Remember that night, you know, sleeping in the dirt and fucking mud, we yeah. were shivering our ass off. And those are that that character building thing. And it's the same for people that start these businesses that become these giant things where it's like you hear Bill Gates talking about the, the garage. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, I've got a friend who started an upholstery business. They've got like 45 employees now and it's kicking ass. But it was just her. It was yeah. just her in a living room sewing shit. Yeah. And so who do you like... Are there are there things that you follow? Philosophies? Are, are you a big reader? Are there certain people that you look at? On because the other thing too is everybody likes to shake the pom poms. Yeah. But there are fucking hard days. There yeah. are really hard days of. I, I see my wife go through it. I've gone through it a million times. Um, when there are things outside of your control, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes yeah. you just can't get the, the gym memberships. And yeah. it's fucking, uh, you've it's done all you is. can do, you just can't get it. Yeah. You know, how many auditions can an actor go to of just mm -hmm. doors getting slammed in their face before it's like, you have to find in, we talk about a lot at home is like, you have to make the work, the payoff. You can't yeah. make the big payoff, the payoff where it's right. like, when this hits a million dollars or when I get this role or when this franchise works, it's yeah. like. I just got to put the work in, know I did my best and be able to, that's, and that's what I love about jujitsu. Cause yeah. it's like, as long as you do your best out there, there is no, you're not losing. Yeah, you can't. And, 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 you know, I think it's like, I think it goes back honestly to that false narrative that you were talking about earlier is cause it's really sad. Cause I see people and I, I know, you know, these people too, right. It's like, Oh, well, you know, yeah, I'm not really happy with what I'm doing right now. Or I'm not really happy with my work or I'm not really happy yeah. with this or yeah, I'm not like working out like I should be. Or I'm not eating like I should, but you know, Dude. when I get that promotion, yeah, oh, yeah. Hey, when I hit, you know, when I get a thousand subscribers, Oh, right. you know, when I get that one single, like it's all going to change, right. like, whatever. And then you get hit by a fucking car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, and it's over. Or, or, you know what, you know what, honestly, I won't say more sad, but what happens more often, but it, I think is what really happens is then you get there and you realize you're still not happy. Yeah. And you're like, fuck dude, I didn't enjoy it at all. I, yep. I, I you're always pushing like why, when I get, you know, when I get a hundred thousand dollars in the bank or whatever I get, or fuck, you know, I get, and I get a brand new car when I get right. my, my Lexus. Oh man, it's going to be gonna great. Be and then you're going to drive around for like 30 days and then you're going to be like, Oh fuck. Still miserable. Still miserable. Oh, what, what next? Oh, yeah. well, if I get, if I buy that, if I get, you know, when, when you, you know, you go, you probably know musicians it's like, Oh, well, Hey, when we get our own van, shit. Oh, Hey, when I get my own bus, Oh, right. when I get my own tour, Oh, when I headline, then it'll be, and then you get done. You're like, fuck no. It's wow. like, it's you know, it's, 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 none of those things are, are lasting. And there's a difference between happy and fulfilled. Yes. And you should be shooting for fulfillment because happiness is fleeting, you know, yeah. like motive, you know, like, you know, like a David Goggins, right? Like motivation, shit, like motive, motivations fleet. You're not always going to feel like training every day. You're not going to no. always feel like writing. You're not always going to feel like not, but, but it's about like putting your feet on the floor, though. but yeah, like, just but doing it and feeling fulfilled, knowing that what you're doing matters in the doing, right? Um, and you're going for your purpose, and so many people, I feel like, shove down. They know that their job's not fulfilling. They know that they're not living up their potential. They know all that stuff, 
and and they try to replace it with bad food mm. or oh, too much drinking or drugs or like whatever that is for them you know women what you know whatever yeah. that is they they replace or sh- you know shopping and getting the nicest the stuff the 80 inch tv the 80 inch tv the oh, the, like, the 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 gucci bag they can show on their instagram and right. they get a, a few likes and they feel great that one day and they're trading in their their actual happiness for that short term thing and it's such a narrative and they don't realize that it's being it's literally all ads that's why i tell you all the time like you don't because like before before madison my my now wife moved in and they're like i didn't have a t- i didn't own a tv right i was a conscious decision I'm like what the fuck do i need to-? if i have a tv like i have a phone like if i want to watch stuff or if i want to watch youtube right. and like i would literally watch like ted talks on my laptop when i ate dinner and yep. like you know because like wh- why I, I you're gonna i'm gonna watch some mindless entertainment so that someone can sell me like ED pills or something like what, the f- <laughs> what am I doing? Like right. that's, that's the only reason the show's on TV. Let's right. be honest. And so, um, and, and that was a, you know, a conscious thing. And now, you know, now it's kind of like our relaxing time. We find some entertainment shows. And one thing that has been good that, you know, Madison has balanced me out is, uh, she has let me and taught me to slow down and enjoy the day. Right. Because I was that person who would like, just like, well, if I'm What's not, next? if I'm not working or sleeping, what the fuck am I doing? Right. And, and she's helped me in some experiences, you know, that we've been able to have and friends we've been able to have and go do things where it's, it's got me to a point now where, you know, even more perspective and, and I, and she's, she's like, it's okay to just like sit down and just like talk with friends and like not do have something. Have a glass of wine. Not, yeah. And just like not, you don't have to be like, your conversation doesn't have to be about, you know, business or right. something or, you know, cause I'll, I'll, I'll get going. I'm like, well, what do you, you know, we've had three beers now. Let's talk about the meaning of life, motherfucker. And she's like, Hey, hey, settle down. Let's just, hey, let's right. just talk about, you know, whatever, you know? And, and, uh, so she's been, she's been good to kind of pull me back and, and, and slow me and kind of be that yin to my yang and let me know, like, you know, you can just, in, you can just be and just enjoy, yeah. enjoy a day. You know, she's free from Oregon. She's got, she's got that hippie Oregon. Nice. So she's just, you know, she's like, let's just go for a walk and just be for a little bit. And yeah. so that has been amazing. And, and that's another thing of just, you know, that perspective of just like, man, like you said, the sun's out and it's like, it's nice and you're free. Like you, you don't have to always be driving. And I think that's another thing is that like that daily grind, just got to hustle harder, man. It's like, yeah. it's important to do that. But at the end of the day, realizing that like whatever the outcome of that hustle is probably not going to make you fulfilled, right. make you happy and like a sense of accomplishment. You should be pushing yourself to be your best. And I'm not sure. saying you shouldn't. Yeah. But man, if you're not, if you're not enjoying the journey, like what the hell are you doing, bro? You know, and cause you said, you gotta be present. yeah, and, you gotta, and that's, that's something that I've had to juggle too. I'm with three kids. I've got two young ones at home and my daughter's in college. She's in a, going into senior year and wow. which is crazy. Yeah, that's um, crazy. But she, um, she's in the nursing program, you know, getting ready to do all that. And I'm like, hey, just, just, it, you know, there's a song called You're Going to Miss This. And it's like, just stay yeah. in the moment a little bit in this because this, this is a really good time. Yeah. And touring, uh, our job is always looking at where we're going to be tomorrow. And, mm-hmm. you know, so when I'm at home, you know, you, you open up and I, you do this too. I'm sure you open up your calendar and you're like, Ugh, there's my yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's just it's just a bunch of blue things in my Google calendar. And then once you get on the road, we live by I don't know if I, oh yeah. So we have these day sheets and it's just your day. And 
that's all we focus on is that day when we're on the road of like, okay, at six o'clock, we're going to be here. And then at five, you know, at seven thirty the show starts and whatever your day is, is already totally done. Yeah. And so I try to do that at home a little bit too, where it's like, um, I, which is why I like doing, I do the podcast on my bus cause I have to be able to clock out. And if I yeah. do everything at home, I never feel detached yeah, yeah. enough to step away and just go, I just need to wrestle on the floor with these two dudes, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and talk to my wife and yeah. make dinner. And, and so pulling back is a hard thing for me too, mm-hmm. because I've always been not like, I mean, I didn't finish high school. I didn't go to college. Everything that we've done has been just from learn, like getting into a situation, trying to learn every job that I could and jump my way up to the next opportunity to the next opportunity so it was like from tour managing to to getting a deal to opening clubs and and touring at this level now um you know it's this my 22nd year on the road and it's been like a crazy journey of failure losing record deals gaining record deals losing publishing deals losing you know marriages and just yeah you know along the way but finally realizing um that you know you're not who your mistakes made you to be yeah and you're not those things and i think that that's just such a a great um way to live now it's just to be in the present and it is so so for you now going through all that because you you know that it's not it's not the record deal it's not the yeah. the bank account it's not that stuff that's going to make it's you happy it's gonna be numb. yeah right so like so is you so is it have you coming back to like it's it's the music now or is it the, is it the touring is it the experience for you it's is it the music is it the creative part yeah, that's really the creating them in the connection with the audience mm-hmm. you know um because there's days where you know like anything you get up and you're like all right shows at eight and you're just like <laughs> man i just i don't want to play today you know I, or i don't want to train today or i don't want to go to work today or whatever but once you once you're able to like just um live presently and and creating like right now I'm in the studio creating this new record and that's the most fun in the world for me because it's just mine right now right when it comes out it doesn't belong to me anymore it belongs to everybody else so you put it out there and it now becomes people who either like it don't like it (laughs) react to it don't react to it whatever it is and I've just learned that at that point it no longer belongs to me and I totally forget about it I play it every night you know on the road for two years like I have to and because I want to, and I love the connection, but um, my mind, as soon as this record is over, is the next record. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like okay, let's start expressing let's yourself. Let's start yeah. looking at things that are inspiring me now, and and um, but creating is the best. Like especially right now, because we're I, we're into something that I'm very excited about, and I think um, nobody knows about it yet. But uh, we all, I think we all ha- know that have a feeling that everybody's going to know about it very soon. And, um, I think there's just a weird special aura to it. So I'm trying to soak this one in the most because I think that this one is, uh, is really important in my journey. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. And, uh, (laughs) And I think jujitsu has been a big part of that. Thanks to you. Oh, so well, thank you very much for that. Dude. Uh, anything. I think, I think jujitsu is, I do all the time. Like whether, everyone should do it. Every, or yeah. So like, I, I find myself like trying to stop from saying that because I don't like everyone needs to, but if you're not going to, if you're not going to do like you, but you need to be doing something challenging and yes. hard and creative. Like, so maybe that's rock climbing or maybe it's, 
you know, I don't, I don't even know. Maybe you're going to do an Ironman. Like, maybe you're going to, like, you don't have to be the best. It's not about your times. Right. It's not about, like, but you need to be getting outside your comfort zone and you need to be doing something physical and it needs to be challenging and you need to be learning and having that sense of accomplishment. Like, if you're not doing that in your life, I, I mean, I don't know a single person that doesn't have something like that in their life that mm-hmm. I can say is like, oh, yeah, the person, like, they're truly fulfilled. They're truly happy or they're, right. they're truly content. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know a single person that's not doing something that doesn't have something like that in their life or you know or you know or maybe they're they're playing music really hard like they're a musician or an artist or something but like they're all into like if I don't know a single person that doesn't that I don't know a single person that doesn't have that in their life that yeah. I can say I I know is happier content yeah and I, I think it's just who we are I think every living creature on the planet is it's most content and happy when it's actions and environment are most in line with its genetics, like most in line with what it's supposed to be and yeah. do. And we're communal creatures, right? We, if we're put in isolation too long, we literally get sick and die. Yeah. Right. And so we have to be around other people. We have to have a tribe. We have to be helping other people. We have to be achieving a higher sense of purpose. Like we need to be doing something physical. Like we have muscles and we have things like we, we need to do that. If you don't, if you don't use your muscles, they're literally wither away. And again, you'll die. Like right. we're, we're meant to work. We're like, right. we're, we're beasts. You know, I, I think Jordan Peterson, who's, the guy that I follow, right, is Jordan, you know, says like, we're beasts of burden. Like yeah. we're only happy when we're working. Like, mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's part of the depression, anxiety, like life's so easy that, that there's, there's, there's no fulfillment. Like if your life, if you don't ever have to work, it's like this, 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 the second generation, you know, immigrant who watched their parents build a, a, a business from scratch and they're building from scratch, you know, versus the billionaire's kid who's always had stuff handed to them. Right. Now, the other kids got more money. Yeah. But who's happier? Who's more fulfilled? Like, right. You know, it's it's the it's the person who had to work for it, and people shy away from being uncomfortable, and they shy away from work, and they shy away from all stuff. And jujitsu brings you right back into that because the moment your mind starts to wander, shit gets hard. You and, get choked out. Yeah, <laughs> and it brings you right back. It's like it's it's I think it's like forced meditation. It right? It's like forced violent meditation. It is, and it's great. <laughs> Well, Sean, where can people find your stuff online? Oh, thanks, bro. Um, so leadership coaching stuff is all at Sean Patton Presents. So SeanPattonPresents.com. Okay. Sean Patton Presents on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. And, you know, right now, yeah, I'm booking anyone who's interested in, you know, either coaching or speaking yeah. uh, or these workshops. You know, if you've got a team of people that uh, that you think they can get more out of, they would benefit from some of this this perspective and some some training, I'd love to just have a conversation and, um, and see if I might be able to help. Dude, thank you so much for popping on. Thanks Make sure everybody brother. goes checks out uh, legionbjj.com. Is that uh, legionjj.com? Legionjj.com. Yeah, and we have a YouTube channel we're putting much stuff. So if you are in jiu-jitsu and we do we do jiu-jitsu videos, MMA videos, yeah. and then also uh, strength and conditioning videos and stuff like that. So, and if you're in the Nashville area and you do train or interested, uh, or if you're just stopping through, we get you know drop-ins all the time. Just hey, yeah. just come drop a line, come train with us, come get come let Jeremy choke you out. We'll, <laughs> we'll get after it, dude. I'm not joking. Anybody <laughs> well, thank you so much. And uh, friends, thanks for hanging out. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Check out jeremymccomb.com. We just added a bunch of new tour dates and uh, getting ready to go back on the road. So Sean Patton, thank you so much, man. Thank Sean you, Patton Presents.com. Go check it out. <laughs>